This is Cosmosis, 98.9 WRFN, Radio Free Nashville. It's on 98.9, the dial in the Nashville area, on the web at RadioFreeNashville.org, and in the archive section of our website for the show, RadioCosmosis.com. Now, we've been trying to kind of revive our interview segment here on Cosmosis. I haven't done any for a while, and I tell you what, I'm pleased to be able to bring you an interview with our next artist, one of my favorite musicians, one of the most underrated artists out there right now, Joe Pasapia. How are you doing today? Oh, great, Billy. How you doing? I'm doing good interviewing you. I'm really happy that you could be on the show. And the first time I saw you, it was with Joe Mark's brother back in the winter of, it was either 96 or 97, over at 12th and Porter in Nashville. And you guys had a string quartet with you. And I tell you what, that show blew me away. The performance was incredible. Uh, the songs were brilliant. And visually, you guys were pretty cool. Do you remember that show at all? I, I do remember that show. In fact, I remember I wore a ascot. Yeah, that's I, I, yeah, exactly. See, visually stunning. I told you, man. <laughs> we were young punks. Yeah, we were young punks. Yeah, that was I, that was such a blast to do. That was such a. Uh, it was first of all, it was such an honor. I couldn't believe the. Uh, there was a couple guys from the symphony that played with us, and you know, I I didn't know that anybody would. You know, and we said, uh, "Hey, we're doing this crazy idea. We just we made some charts, and we and they were totally into it. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it made it made it great." Excellent. So did yeah. the whole band have input on the charts? Was that mainly you or, um, you know, I mean, or did the string quartet help you out with that? Well, I actually did it, you know, like myself. It was like some, I just had this, this intuition or whatever to sort of get into it. And, uh, and you know, it was like right around the time. And of course, nowadays it's so much easier back then the programs to do it. Like I'm not even that good of a reader of music, <laughs> but if you just input the stuff on a keyboard and then, you know, it'll print it out. Of course, software has come a long way since 90. Five or six, whenever that was. Mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> but but uh, and I, and then some of the parts I did were too esoteric. Like people, they're like, "Well, that, you really can't do that," you know. And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, so we <laughs> have to change it." <laughs> but, but to be honest with you, because of the, you know, because when you're dealing with the symphony players and stuff like that, we we're only able to have one run through rehearsal. So we I put the chart out, and we afterwards we discussed where's the problems. Uh, measure number ninety six. That note is an accidental. It's supposed to be this or that. It was. And I was like, oh, boy, it was, it was uh, quite overwhelming. But it, was, it really worked out a lot better than it probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> right. Had you worked with string you know? players quite a bit before? Was that kind of a first-time deal for you? No, that was the first. Yeah. That was the first. It was sort of like, and I remember that um, I worked with Peter Herka, who's, uh, who's a great uh, violinist in Nashville, very accomplished. He does everything from Django Reinhardt stuff to fiddle to, and he could play a lot of different instruments, but... He was like my right-hand man uh, during that. And when he saw the charts, he said, how did you do this? I said, well, with a MIDI program. He said, well, I'm going to start doing this. <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, it wasn't that difficult. It was probably more difficult to get everybody together and make sure it all was going to work. Let's rewind it a bit. So you grew up what, on the East Coast, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay, Jersey. All right. And uh, music from the get-go, or did you have one of those, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, had to play guitar kind of moment type things? You know, I don't know what it was, Billy. Like, um, I remember my dad, or a friend of the family, gave me, my fourth grade teacher gave me a guitar um, when I was nine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then my dad bought me a better one. And then uh, I just started taking lessons with some guys. And I really didn't connect with a, with a teacher that I liked till I was 12. Mm-hmm. But I started teaching myself, and, and you know, back then, riff rock was alive and well. There was smoke on the water. <laughs> there was Black Sabbath, Paranoid. I mean, you know, but funny enough, like, when you meet kids nowadays, they're, they're still 
that's the song they started with first too. Yeah, Iron Man. <laughs> like, rock is alive and well, you know. Exactly. So the guitar was your first <laughs> instrument then. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So besides the riff rock stuff, what else did you listen to early on? I was obs- when I was when I was twelve years old. I was obsessed with Mata Hoople. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That was I was like obsessed with them, and they were already they'd already come and gone. Mm-hmm. But um, but I was like. I backordered every Cream magazine that I could, and I got all the rare, you know, uh, pressings of vinyl that they did, did English copies and not American copies. You know, I was, mm-hmm. just, I was sort of a geek for it, you know. <laughs> Very high fidelity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. So you start doing bands in high school, forming bands and that kind of thing? Yeah, sure did. Like we had, uh, in fact, one of the first... Um, I can remember in high school, my brother and I went up against each other in the battle of the band, you know, and, I, and our band won. Uh-huh. So he's, I've, he's, I've never gotten over that with him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, we had, we had, like, a band in high school and stuff, and uh, my friend actually put together, like, a, uh, a DVD of, like, some of the stuff that we had taped, and it's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's so funny. When did you end up forming Joe Mark's brother, then? Actually, um, in, it was ninety. Three mm-hmm. that I had a I had a bunch of songs, and um, I really wanted to. It was kind of a transitional time for me and my brother. Like mm-hmm. my brother was, we hadn't really been in the same household for a while. Mm-hmm. He went off to college, and I went off to college, and uh, and had a band out there with some friends for about four years. And then um, when I got back with, <clears throat> we both kind of met back at the Jersey house, and I said, let's do a record together. I had these songs and. Um, in '93, we recorded that record, and it was just my brother and I did, you know, did pretty much everything, and some some guys that we knew at the time that helped us out, and um, and then we just kind of moved to Nashville, probably about six months after we finished that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, yeah. what what made you choose Nashville? Well, we actually met a guy in Nashville named Rick Clark. He's kind of an icon in Nashville. I don't know if you've. Yep. Uh, yep. That was one of my next questions. I'm sure, actually. You have, <laughs> I'm sure you have, like with, with the record store, because he's he's a big collector of music, and yeah. Um, but he he actually liked our first record, and he and he uh, we started conversations with him, and he was like, you know, I really want to help you guys, and then uh, it was really through him that we we sort of decided to check out both Nashville and Memphis, and we just decided on Nashville. We really liked it, you know, it had a great vibe. We saw Brad Jones play the weekend we came down. We saw Brad Jones play live. In a band, and it was he was fronting the band. It was amazing, mm-hmm. and uh, and we met this guy named George Bradfield, who's another hero of mine in Nashville. They call him the uh, Tone Chaperone, but uh, <laughs> he's like the he's he's the guy I go to for all my guitar and amp advice. You know, he's like mm-hmm. an amazing resource and a great producer. But um, we met all these cool people, and uh, we just fell in love with it and wanted to wanted to get down there. Well, after I saw you guys at Twelfth uh, and Porter, I called over there and um, and uh, they arranged for me to meet with you. And you actually gave me the debut of Joe Mark's brother, and that's the first thing I actually heard you guys that was recorded by you guys. Did you guys record that? What ninety six was that right? I think it was ninety six. Yeah. yeah, and we did that with Rick Clark. You know, he produced that, and we did it at Arden Studios. And we were kind of intimidated because you know we were all you know big star fans mm-hmm. and stuff, and you know Rick was a, he's he's a Memphibian before Nashvilleian, so he would take us to all the places out there and say, oh, this is where Chris Bell crashed his car and died, and this is where, you know, we used to eat barbecue with Alex Chilton, and, you know, just the whole, it was like we were just getting steeped in the history, you know, and it felt like if the walls could talk, you know, (laughs) 
it was a pretty great, great experience recording there. Excellent. Well, let's uh, take a listen to a track from the debut of Joe Mark's brother. It's called This Blind Faith on Cosmosis Radio Free Nashville.
That was This Blind Fate from the debut of Joe Mark's brother. You are listening to Cosmosis. Interview with Joe Pasapia here on Cosmosis today. And um, right now we are back in 1996. Just recorded the debut of Joe Mark's brother over in Memphis with Rick Clark at Ardent Studios. How long did it take you guys to record that album? We did it in two different sessions. We did um, This Blind Faith was actually in the second session. From what I remember, we did probably about a week and a half in uh, one, one sitting, and then we went back and did another week or so mm-hmm. for the second session. You know, It was a big process. We were, most of the time, um, we moved to Nashville in 94, and, I, and like uh, we were actually just in the process of writing songs and... Um, kind of trying to put together a band, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's so hard putting a band together in Nashville, mm-hmm. because at least it was back then, because yeah. everybody who was good was professional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're already making money, you know, so it was, like, tough to be like, hey, you want to play for free at 12th and Porter, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, you know? So it's kind of, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was kind of hard, so we were, we were in the process of doing that and, and just really woodshedding, you know? And, and there's so many great players in Nashville. It was, like, and great songwriters. You'd just go out every night of the week and, you know, five dollar cover to see these brilliant people playing these great songs and and stealing you know looking at their guitar playing and going how do they do that and talking to my breaks learning mm-hmm. stuff so you you and mark um moved down to nashville from the east coast and now who did you hook up with to form joe mark's brother down in nashville um you know we went through a few incarnations and um early on we found uh, one of our musical soulmates this guy named pete langella and uh he played bass on uh, actually, it's funny. The bass player from my band, out right out of college, named Dave Shaper, he came down from Pennsylvania to help us. He played bass on the first half of the recording of the debut record, and then Pete Langella played on the second half. And then we were a three-piece for a little while with Pete Langella. For a little while, we had this guy named Paul Lewolt on guitar, but uh, he was kind of busy playing with like an actual touring act, and so he had to go with you know go where the money was good, and. Uh, and so we got this guy, um, but then we got David Mead came in the band. But David Mead didn't come in until after the debut was recorded. In fact, we don't have any proper, we never released a recording uh, with David Mead. You know, but we did some recording. We did some demos for Virgin Records, but uh, oh, wow. they were never released. Okay, well, let's check out another track from the debut of Joe Mark's Brother. This one's She's So Gone on Cosmosis, Radio Free Nashville. I wish that I could get along with you. Now that you're not here, you pick on my mind. Remember it all the time. It's such a pleasuring condition. Imagine you if you were a girl to me. Imagine one step further.
Imagine one step further than if I were good to you. She's so gone. Joe Mark's brother on Cosmosis. We're talking to Joe Pasapia here on this show. Very happy to be doing an interview with him and uh, interesting stuff so far. And so uh, the debut of Joe Mark's brother recorded in 1996, uh, did some shows, and then uh, we had a lineup change shortly after that, didn't we? Well, pretty much, yeah. There was a period where um, it was actually at a time where Pete, um, he had got married and his his wife already had a child. And then all of a sudden they were pregnant. And so it was like, he was sort of like, well, you know, I can't really, I got to make a decision. And, and we were sort of like, well, we, we, sort, we were sort of feeling the pressure, like things are starting to happen. And, and we were like, well, we really need we really need to be able to be liquid, like just go on a moment's notice. And if we need to play here, if we get a tour, if we need to do this. And he kind of felt that pressure, like, you know, guys, I have to bow out, you know? And, um, and then at that same time, it was like sort of evident that David was doing a lot more writing and coming into his own. And, uh, and I thought, you know what? I never really thought it was good to do the two singer thing only, especially because, you know, David Mead has like that sweet olive oil voice, and my voice is a little bit more, you know, <laughs> what it is. And I just thought, you know, people would be like, well, David's a better singer than you. I'd be like, well, yeah, that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> gotcha. But, you know, so it kind of became evident that we, that we you know, were going to make a personnel change there, too. And, and as Mark and I always say, we went back to the mattresses, like from The Godfather, where Clemenza and Tessio had to go to the mattresses during mm-hmm. the war. But uh, I don't know. It's a geeky track. But so we we uh, we sort of went to regrouping time, you know. And and uh, Hags, James Haggerty, um, was actually the funny thing about it, Billy, is that Hags uh, before Mark and I moved to Nashville, Hags still had one more year of college. But um, we were uh, he was on the five year plan, and uh, so we were we tried to get him to come down with us, but he really did have a, another year left. And so it was a little bit of a foreshadowing, you know, he couldn't really just drop everything and come down. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at that point, and I think it, I'm going to say it was 97, can't really remember when Hags got there, but um, he he came down and and then we started the new the new regime, you know, and it was a whole new thing. And it was really interesting. We, we spent, um, we had a house that, I mean, one of the things that's great about Nashville, as you know, is like there's these great houses. You can rent a whole house as opposed to like living in the city where you have to get a rehearsal space. We just rent a house, make sure it had a big enough basement where we could put all our stuff to play every day of the week. So we would, um, we worked on a whole new thing and we did, you know, we did a lot of jamming. We would sit there and we'd just jam and, you know, come up with ideas. And, and a lot of the stuff we were coming up with was so different and we were so excited by it. And it was uh, exploring all this different territory. We were kind of coming out of the pop thing that we were that we'd really been into you know with the debut and stuff like that and we're getting into just stuff that we were you know a little more jazzy or a little more you know experimental and um and this and going back to the three piece which at the time was really i was really nervous about it because i was like the three pieces it's just so tough but we got we really got into it you know what i mean we really just uh embraced it and it became so fun and hags and my brother always had this groove together where my brother always said hags is the only guy that that plays exactly with my kick. You know, they had gone to college together, actually. So, uh, And around the year came out, what, 2000, correct? Yeah, 2000. And different yeah. producer? Uh, was it recorded in Nashville? It was, with Brad Jones and Robin Eaton over at Alex the Great Studios. 
we uh, that was a great experience. We had such a great time, and we did that record so quickly. I can't believe. I think we did it in ten or twelve days. No way. A lot more fleshed out than the other one. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, and and that's mixed and everything. We would just mix. We would do the song and mix it that night. You know. Okay. And uh, it was a great experience, and we we were, we were sort of like. You know, we had been all dressed up and nowhere to go for so long, kind mm-hmm. of thing. We we had all the songs done, we had all our ideas, and we we were so uh, attuned to what we were trying to do that when we finally got in the studio, we all we had to do was press go, and we were ready. You know, because um, we had spent a lot of time in the basement just you know planning for it. You know, I remember when around the year came out, and I was thinking, cool, more Brit Invasion type power pop stuff. But man, I tell you what, I popped the CD in. Press play, blown away. This is what I heard, ready to change on Cosmosis. If I fell through this veneer I stand on. If I fell through this veneer. Mark's brother, ready to change on Cosmosis, interviewing Joe Pasapia here on today's show. And if you've been tuned in the whole time, you can tell that song a little bit different than the first two that we heard. Songwriting more complex, the arrangement's a lot lusher, stylistically more diverse. The whole album has a larger palette of timbres, it seems like. Oh, definitely, yeah. In fact, I remember doing Ready to Change. Uh, I love uh, the beginning. Like uh, I think Hags was playing marimba, or my brother was playing marimba, Hags was playing vibraphone. And I was playing lap steel. We did everything as an ensemble too, because we, we, you know, we had tried to get it done quick, so we would nobody would do an overdub alone. You know, mm-hmm. it was always like, oh, you play this, I'll play that, you play this. You know, right. like and old just, school, I, like the old days, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The the growth between those two records is amazing, and 
Songwriting-wise, everything, did, did anything in particular cause it? Were you listening to different stuff, or was it just the different lineup? You know, I think it had – we were um – it was everything. It was really everything, Billy. I mean, like, uh, we were going through a tough time because our parents were getting divorced, my brother and I. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like we were, like, I was already 30 or maybe 31. And so it was like, it was very strange to have that happen at that age. And, of course, you know, when you're living with your significant closest sibling, you know, it's like there was no way to really escape anything. So we had to confront all our emotions together. And I think that we just put all, you know, just put, basically put it onto the music and it would be our, like our escape, you know? And so we would play and play and play. And we, and it was so joyful, you know, it really was looking back. I mean, we, we were trying we were trying to figure out how to be commercial, but we could, <laughs> but we had more important fish to fry. I think we just had to get all this stuff off our chest, you know? And, um, and it was a real catharsis for us. I mean, we, that would be like, like the only thing that, that made life worth living in those days was just, being able to play music together. So, you know, we did that record and, and we, and to this day, like aside from a couple tracks, I'm really, I'm really proud of that record. You know, I think it's, I, I just, I really think it's beautiful, you know? So, um, it is. And I, you know what else I noticed with that is a certain kind of quirkiness kind of emerged with some of the songs, you know, kind of a, yeah, a, more of a sense quirky. of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing because, you know, the, with Hags and my brother already going to college together, and Hags is a crack up, my brother's a crack. You know, we, we'd all just cut up and act like jackasses all the time. And, like, you know, the, we always called it the jackassery. Like, we'd bring it into the music, like all that sort of silly guitar stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was it was more of like, you know, we would we would play together and for hours and hours just try and make each other laugh, you mm-hmm. know? And then a lot of that just went into the music, you know? Because some of the stuff was like, yeah, that's funny, but it's really cool, too, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, check out some of the quirkiness on this. Spinning on an axis from the album Around the Year with Joe Mark's brother here on Cosmosis Radio Free Nashville. Access just this morning with my breakfast And I've come to realize everything's a spoof All the frosted flakes of reason Serve the milky way of trees And this whole meal I've sat here trying to find proof As I look inside my spoon to see my upside down reflection And I wonder if the truth's too big to hold And then caught within this timeless realm of breakfast table contemplation My temporal flakes have gone soggy in their bowl in a car driving through texas and i wonder if the state is absolute because deep within its borders i forget about the bardos oklahoma waits to show me all its truth and i live Down, and 
axis forever trying to balance between here and there and all points in between and i draw no new conclusions no i make no new addendum i simply bless all parts and call them all pristine and i live on an axis, Joe Mark's brother here on Cosmosis, interviewing Joe Pasapia today. He's kind enough to give us some of his time and some insight and some history. And so moving on, Joe Mark's brother then, uh, after around the year, you ended up doing a solo record not long after that called Daydreams. What made you decide to do the solo record? Well, you know, it's funny, like, um, when we were, one of the best experiences of my life was <clears throat> when, right after we finished the, uh, the Around the Year record, we, we had a booking agent, but his but he was uh, going to get married. So it's like, he was like, look, I can't start booking you guys till after the wedding. So we were like, we were kind of chomping at the bit. So we're like, well, let's just go out and play a, a street tour. So we did this busking tour across, across America, and we, and we had the best time. Go into a town and just set up like, uh, with tiny little amps and battery packs. And uh, my brother you know, turned his floor tom into a kick drum and brought a cymbal. And, and uh, we just find a brick wall to stand in front of him and we'd project the vocals that way, you know, with the hard surface behind us. And, you know, by the end of the, by the end of the step, we'd have a crowd maybe, you know, right. and, uh, we'd make enough money to, to get gas for the next day and eat the big grand slam breakfast at, <laughs> at Denny's or whatever, you know, but it was so great. But what ended up happening was, but, you know, uh, towards the end of the tour, we were already kind of having to turn around and go back because, uh, Hags's brother was getting married, but mm-hmm. right as soon as we were, you know, on one of our last stops, my electric guitars got stolen from the from the van. Oh wow! And I had like my favorite guitars, you know, and uh, it was sort of like I never really got back to this Telecaster that I that I used to have. It was just a magic one. And that guy George Brett, you know, I was talking about earlier, he had built it. Oh wow! And uh, and I always would go over his house and play it. I said, "Do you ever want to sell this one?" And one day he called me, like years after I asked him, and he sold it to me. It became the guitar I wrote a lot of Joe Mark's brother stuff on. But then what happened was, you know, I I. I started stumbling into like these great acoustic guitars and um you know it was like i feel like guitars are like weird mysterious things to come in and out of your life at certain points to make you do the next creative thing that you're going to do and um and then i then i had these great acoustic guitars and, and i sort of just was you know playing those mostly and you know wrote all these songs that were more like that really didn't have a band feel they just had more of an acoustic feel so i I remember just telling my brother, like, look, you know, I really want to do this, you know. And it's hard because it's your brother. It's not like just some guy in your band where it's like, hey, I'm doing a solo record. But, um, you know, because we had always done stuff together. And, and so I just said, you know, I really need to do this because it's, it's going to serve the songs this way. They're, I just don't really want to force them into what they're not, you know. And, um, and it, was, it was a great experience, but it was really interesting because uh, I did it by myself and I had no producer and. Right before that, I was starting to do some producing on my own, and I, I, I used to think, like, 
well, why hire a producer? It's really like you could do all this stuff yourself. It's almost like just having somebody to be like, yeah, that's great, or just a cheerleader. And uh, then I realized, like, you know, producers a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try and produce yourself, you realize what a producer does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, because it, it's so hard to make your decisions and know if you're. One of the things that I struggled with on that record was I really wanted. I didn't want it to sound like I produced it myself. That I perfected everything, like made everything sound real stale and sterile. And, you know, got self-conscious with stuff. But at the other end of the corners, I didn't want it to sound like it was a uh, slipshod or, you know, you know sloppy. Uh, so I was trying to find that balance where I'd be like, all right, I don't want to oversing this, but I don't want to, you know, kind of half-ass it either or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really tough because you get into the Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And did you record it at home? I think I read that. I did, yeah. Yeah. How was that That's experience for you? Was that, was that interesting recording under a computer, I assume, right? Yeah, it was great. Um, I, you know, it was so empowering because, you know, when when Joe Mark's brother was, uh, it was only a few years earlier, but the technology had come so far in four, three or four years or whatever, even two years, um, that, you know, we would have loved to be able to do that uh, back in like 98 when we had this great house that we rented that sounded amazing. Um, but we, we the technology just wasn't there yet. And uh, then when I put together my little system, it was real humble, you know, uh, I was just amazed at how, like, you know, how easy it was in a way. And, and you know, back then I wasn't – I was using Cubase, and Cubase was really challenging for me. Like, it was kind of like – and there's not too many other guys in town that use it, you know, mm-hmm. so I couldn't really get tech support, free tech support. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, 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 I really didn't know how to edit on it, so we would just leave stuff, you know, be like, that was the performance, you know, which in a way I think nowadays when I look back, I'm like, that's great. It made – it was like, because nowadays with Pro Tools, it's so easy to just fix everything, you know, it's so perverse, you know. But I was kind of, I think it was to my benefit that I didn't know the, the editing skills that I have now, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Which you tend to rely on, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, let's check out a song from Daydreams. This is River Song on Cosmosis, Radio Free Nashville. River, river, while you go racing by, there's a thousand little questions in my mind. Hemlocks by your side Do you ever get the feeling That you're tired And would you tell me If you did River, river I met you long ago But I set out Cause I had something to prove Shores, and now I know that there is nothing left to lose. So won't you please whisper the truth? Cause there's a lot here in my soul that I don't know, and I may never ever know. I look at you.
show me how to dance with the many things I'll never understand. River, river, please teach me about song, making music as the currents roll along. As the currents sing along. Cause there's a lot here in my soul that I don't know and I may never ever know. I look at you, you let it go. You make it look so easy. There's a lot here in my soul. River Song from the album Daydreams. Joe Pasapi, our guest on Cosmosis today. And um, we're, we've, we're all the way up to about, what, 2003? Is that when Daydreams came out? I think it was actually 01 or 02. No, 02. 02. Okay. All right. I get my dates confused. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, so were these songs specifically penned for this project, or were there some leftovers that maybe you didn't use from the Joe Marks Brothers stuff? Or um, I'm trying to think, like... If anything on there was a leftover, and I'm not looking at the titles right now, but I think those were all pretty much for that, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think that any, I don't, there was a couple outtakes mm-hmm. that, um, actually, no, I take that back. Tell Me Your Mind was one that we, we had sort of tried in Joe Mark's Brother, but, um, but I did, we just never, it just never really came together, you know? Did and you, I think that one's somewhere in between, like the daydream stuff and the JMV stuff, you know. Right, right. With the palette where it lies, you know. Did you use many musicians, or did you pretty much do most of the instruments yourself? Well, I, you know, at that time, I, like, I, I really did have more time than money, so um, I did mostly everything myself. Like, I kind of, and it was sort of intimidating because I figured out, like, I borrowed a stand-up bass because I really wanted to have a stand-up bass, but I didn't have enough money to pay somebody to play, so I just kind of practiced a lot, you know, and like. <laughs> And then uh, I would do a lot of takes, and then just until I got the right one, and um, and that was real fun, you know. And then, um, but I I did pretty much everything except for the string parts, which obviously, and then uh, the drums and stuff. My brother and uh, my brother played some of those, and my buddy Jeff Finland played some of those too. So because I suck at drums, <laughs> but <laughs> here yeah. No, I, I, I can't make a noise out of a violin. I have one, but I, all I make is squeaks and squeals out of it. Well, let's listen yeah. to another one from Daydreams. This is called Sometimes on Cosmosis Radio Free Nashville. You let go of me 
Sometimes, Joe Fasapia from the album Daydreams. He is our guest on Cosmosis today, kind enough to hang out with us. Uh, you did a record release show at the Bell Court when Daydreams came out. Yeah, we did. We, um, we, in fact, we did the same thing with Joe Orange Brother. We like to just perform the record as in the sequence. Um, and uh, and again, you know, it sets it up. It's, it gives it a certain feel. So mm-hmm. we did that. It was really fun. And I, I had such a great band that night. I remember it was amazing. I was so psyched to have the, the band that I had. One song stuck out in particular on the album called Dancing Partner. Um, you want to tell us about that track? Sure. I mean, um, that one, it's funny because um, that one was uh, was really challenging for me musically because I'm not really that great of a piano player. And, um, but I, I wanted, but I, once again, I did, it took me about a whole weekend to play that. And when I mean a whole weekend, I mean like just Friday night, like stayed up till three or four, wake up Saturday, try it all day, Sunday, try it all day, you know, like 12, 13 hour days, just yeah. keep doing it. And, I, and because it was rubato, and because of my lack of editing skills, I really couldn't edit two pieces together. I had to get it in one pass. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a point where I'm like, should I just call somebody? But I didn't want it to be too perfect. I wanted it to sound a little clunkety clunkety, you know. And uh, and then the le- I had a whole different lyric for that song at first. I, that was going to be the ballad of Joe Mark's brother. Oh wow. That, and uh, I was working on a lyric, and I just couldn't get it to work. And I, all of a sudden, it came to me after like kind of trying to hammer that uh, that square peg in a round hole that. You know, I remember, you know, having this conversation with my grandmother, you know, just recently before I wrote it. And uh, I just kind of went into about that night. And there was stuff I never knew because I said, Grandma, love, you know, my grandmother was so full of zeal and so alive when she was 94. And, you know, she would go to weddings and stuff, and she would just be, like, out on the dance floor doing the electric slide. I could never hang with that because I, I, I could never tell when you was a slide, you know, whatever, but she'd always be like, come on, do the Alexis fly, and I, wow. <laughs> and I said, Graham, you're always dancing at the weddings, it's great, you know, and she's like, yeah, but not on slow dances, if they, when they play the slow music, I, I don't even look at, I can't even dare to watch them, and I just mm-hmm. remember that, it just, it always stuck with me, and I was like, because well, after, you know, my, my grandfather passed away, she just couldn't watch the dancers, because they, you know, that was their thing, and mm-hmm. she could never do it with anybody else, or even see people doing it, just, and that was, you know, 20 some years later. She still really hadn't quite, you know, gotten over that, you know. It was really beautiful and, and so dear. It was a great moment, you know. I'm so thankful that I had that moment with her. And, and uh, I think there's something when people get, like, to that point where they're sort of knowing they're releasing into, you know, going to the next level. But they just kind of have a, just a great, candid sense of humor and aliveness. And it's so rare, I think, to, to be able to, to take part in that moment with kind of some lucidity, you know. Mm-hmm when they're really not <clears throat> sick yet, but they kind of know they're at the end. <clears throat> Amazing. Let's listen to it. Dance, Dancing Partner here on Cosmosis Radio Free Nashville. Still feel 
Still recollecting all the many things we talked about Like living with and then without I wondered to myself if I would ever love someone that way And in the echoes of that night I still can see as she said When play that music I turn the other Since my day Dancing partner, Joe Fasapia from the album Daydreams. And Joe is our guest here on Cosmosis. Very kind to spend some time with us. And um, I want to ask you about songwriting in general. Um, I know it's the generic question, what comes first or does it vary? Do you do the you know lyrics first, melody first, chords first, or is it just you know situation by situation? You know, it's usually for me, if you want to get technical, I would have to say I usually get you know turned on by a certain chord change or something or just strumming around or sitting around and uh, <clears throat> and then the melody comes later or maybe sometimes they come together but the lyric always almost always for me comes late you know late, later in the game um, uh, except for like funny enough like spinning on an axis I had that lyric before I had uh, a song like I was that was almost going to be that was going to be a country song and then it just kind of became a rock song or whatever but I just thought it'd be funny to have like this cosmic country song you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but um um, but so, yeah, for me, that's how it usually works. And, and generally how I do it is I have a, I used to always have a cassette recorder, like a little handheld. And my friend Bob Bradley turned me on to that. He's like, yeah, get your, get yourself a handheld and keep it at your side all the time. And, you know, that's what I would do. And then, you know, he's drum an idea. And for me, like the way I, the way I usually sort of pick out the ideas that, that turn me on or maybe are the ones that I follow through on are like, Usually, I don't, I don't listen to a tape until I finish a 90-minute tape, and then I listen to it. And then it's like usually some of those pieces are almost a year old or something because they're just snippets. And I'll be like, oh, this one's awesome. I want to do something with that, you know. Or, uh, you know, or I could see where, like, there's certain melody lines that I'm kind of, that are in my head, but maybe they hadn't materialized 
to the best form until like maybe the third idea that had that change in it, or so then I pick that one out like it would be like the one that sh- that sort of shown above the rest, you know. And once you take an idea and run with it, are you a pretty fast writer? Does it take you all to develop, or do you really do you like to spend a lot of time on on an idea, or is it like if I can't bash something out, it's not worth working on? Are you what, what kind of writer are you in that way? Well, I, I think I've been changing over the years, you know. Um, a lot of time, I think in the past I used to just be so excited to have an idea that I would just like sort of hammer it till I got it done, like you know. And sometimes I look back and think, well, I should have maybe edited that a little bit, you know. But um, so now maybe I'm over editing because <laughs> I've been like really slow with my writing lately. You know, I have I have a lot of like right now I have like way more ideas than finished songs, and and usually I would have like a different ratio, you know, you know, like more, you know, be like more finished. It wouldn't be more finished to ideas, but it'd be like more than I have now finished to the ideas I have. <laughs> right, right. You know, so maybe I'm just, and you know, that, I think it is like you get older and, and you start to get even a little more commercially like successful or something. And then you start getting a little more second, you second guess more. You meet people that are accomplished writers and you, you, you have conversations with them and, you know, and uh, like a good friend of mine, Dan Tyler, he's a great songwriter. You know, he would always He's such a fine editor. He'll work on he'll work on a verse for three months to get the lyric right. Wow! And I, and I just and then when I listen back, I'm like, well, he did a great job. You know, mm-hmm. he really it really communicates the, the effect that he's trying to do. And so, I'm, in a way, like I'm starting to think about things a little more like that, and probably you know maybe overthinking in a way. I once read a, a review that said. Uh, that described your your writing as Hoagie Carmichael meets Ray Davies of the Kinks. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I thought that was a great compliment. I was like, I'll take it. Yeah, definitely. You know? who, who do you think I mean, has uh, influenced you um, writing wise the most? Hmm, that's a good question because you know it's funny. Like, and I, and I know this is going to sound a little cliche, but you know, I'm not a real like. I don't really listen to lyrics that much, you know, and. Like other, like I'm such a music guy at head, you know, at heart. And when I listen to stuff, it's usually like the music that turns me on first. And then if I really get into the artist, then I listen to the lyric. But it's usually probably the hundredth time I've listened to something. Um, but I, you know, and like funny enough, like lately, like I'm so uh, jazzed about Bossa Nova stuff, but I can't even understand what they're talking about, you know. <laughs> and in a way, I think it's kind of liberating to just let the music wash over you and the melody and the tone of the voice and stuff, you know. So it's funny, like the stuff I listen to lately is a lot of instrumental stuff or, you know, foreign stuff like that, where mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't know. And, and I don't know. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of, you know, but I, I of course, I love the Beatles and, you know, they just wrote so many perfect songs, so many balanced, perfect songs. I love the Kings, you know, Neil Young is, you know, Neil Young's the kind of guy where I think like his music is so unobtrusive mm-hmm. that I could get into the lyrics earlier, mm-hmm. you know. The music is no less captivating, but it's, he has a way of keeping the music out of the way of the lyric, which I think is also great. And, uh, I think I've been really thinking a lot more like about people like that, Neil Young, you know. And Nick Lowe is just—I think he's at the top of his game right now, like writing his best material, and his singing is at the top of his game. And you know, I just saw him at the Bill Court the other night; it blew my mind. Good stuff. Well, we've heard River Song, we've heard Sometimes, we've heard Dancing Partner. You want to pick a song off Daydreams to play next? You know what I really like is the swimming song, actually. Brilliant. Excellent choice. Let, let's do, yeah. Why don't you introduce it for me, then? All right. This is uh, the swimming song. You're listening to Cosmosis Radio, and this is me, Joe Pizzapia, with the swimming song. Mm-hmm. 
dreams of this world strip away your soul but you out of touch but if blues the sky and in summertime then you are in Swimming song from the album Daydreams. Joe Pasapia, our guest on Cosmosis today. And uh, after Daydreams, you had a project called Watercolor. Want to tell us about that? Sure. That, that was It was actually uh, an unexpected project because um, my neighbor at the time, Liz Hodder, uh, wanted to do a record. And, and, and really, like, Daydreams wasn't that successful commercially, but, like, people who heard it that were singer-songwriters were like, oh, well, I kind of want to do a record like that with you. Mm-hmm. If you could do it all in your apartment. And so I said, sure. So Liz, uh, Liz had approached me about that, and you know, we were going through her material. We only had a month to do the record in because I was leaving for a tour mm-hmm. for Daydreams uh, a month later. And so I was like, all right, we got a month. Let's let's do what we can. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, what songs do you want to do? You know, we had already been through her songs a little bit. And she's like, I don't know. My, I hate my songs. Let's make stuff up. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to do. She was really into like the uh, electronica stuff and. I just, you know, I never really got into that whole thing, and I and I was like, all right, here's the deal, Liz. If I'm gonna, spe- it's gonna take me three days to learn software and stuff to figure out how to do electronica, or we could just start writing. And 
you know, I just pulled out a guitar and we wrote this song like off the top of our heads in like you know an hour, mm-hmm. and it, it was beautiful. We had this great chemistry, and we and then we just recorded it right away. We set up mics, and we sat across from each other, played played the guitars, and sang like these du- this duet. And we did everything live like that, and um, we were so jazzed by that. We were so psyched that we said, let's just do it again. Let's try and keep the magic going. And then we did it, and we, we'd get, like, four songs, and we're like, these songs are great. And as soon as we'd record, we'd left the mic set up. We'd just go to that room in my apartment, and we'd, and we'd sit down, and we'd, and we'd record, you know, 20 takes till we got the one we liked. It's nice um, when that works out, isn't it? <laughs> magic. It was totally magic, and I was so thankful to be a part of it. And it was, like I said, unexpected. We, you know... We did, I, I really didn't do much co-writing back then at all, and so I was sort of intimidated by the whole thing. But Liz and I were such good friends, and we were both going through all this kind of relationship stuff, and we would just basically have, our conversations became these songs. Mm-hmm. And um, she's got a beautiful voice, and we really, you know, and it, it, it's sort of like I was really into the Getz Goberto, like the girl from Ipanema stuff. Mm, definitely. Awesome. That to me, that record was like where well, we captured some of that flavor. It's not Bossa Nova, but there's a lot of duets in the Bossa Nova world, like the Ellis Regina, Tom Joe Beam, like, and so we were trying to capture some of that, some of that magic, you know. And I, I really felt like we, we, we might have nailed it, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm really happy with that record. Well, let's check something out from it. This is called "Lay Your Head" from the project Watercolor, and it's on Cosmosis Radio Free Nashville. Lay your head.
Your head from watercolor. We are talking to Joe Pasapia here on Cosmosis, and it's been a real thrill so far. And uh, talking about the watercolor project, did you do many shows for this uh, project? Well, we did our we did our uh, record release at the Belcourt in Nashville, where we, mm-hmm. that was like the that was like the turkey or the trifecta or whatever. Like we did, you know, the JMB, then we did the uh, I did the Daydreams, then we did the watercolor there, mm-hmm. and um, it was great. We had a string quartet with us, and. Uh, it was it was really beautiful. You know, we had a little horn section, and we just kind of did the record as, as it was, you know. Like, there's no drums at all on the whole record, so we didn't have to worry about that. But, um, and then and then uh, what we did after that was I had done a tour of um, England and Ireland and Scotland uh, with Daydreams, and, um, you know, not really due to the success of the tour, as so much as I became friendly with the booking agents, right. that we were able to go back and do watercolor. And really, we would play tiny little rooms and play at pubs and stuff, play for 10 or 12 people, but it was such a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we'd have more than that, but, you know, most of the time it was like little pubs in the middle of nowhere with, you know, and then we'd become best friends with everybody by the end of the night and have many pints with them. But uh, the music was great to play live because it was pretty much the core of the record was us playing live together anyway with two acoustics and vocals. So, mm-hmm. Um, it was a, it was really a great portable way to tour, you know. Let's check out another song from Watercolor. This is called "Can We Be Free" on Cosmosis Radio Free Nashville.
Can We Be Free from Watercolor? We're talking to Joe Pasapia here today on Cosmosis. And, uh, and I noticed on your website that um, sometimes, I don't know what the, what the correct term is, but um, you would actually do living room shows for people where they would, um, they would hire you and have their you know, friends pop over. And you know, is it, they paid to get in, and then you fly over there, and then you, know, you get to crash there and do those kinds of gigs. What, what were those called? Was there a specific name for those? Well, I guess the technical name that I've ever heard is house concert. House concert. I you should know? have known that. <laughs> yeah. But but I always thought of it more of as a living room thing anyway because, you know, and it's funny, like, we always wanted to do that anyway in in, in music. You know, when we had uh, the Daydream set on the Belcourt stage, we had table lamps and stuff just to make it feel homey, you know. Yeah. But um, so I've always liked that. It's just so, it just feels like, it feels old-fashioned to me. Like, you know, like, that's how music was probably done back in the day, like little part the parlor music, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, Liz and I actually went and, um, we did a show over in Brussels in Belgium for like all these big wigs at NATO. Mm-hmm. And, uh, afterwards, you know, when we we're having like our little chips and dip and all that stuff, it was like, we're talking to people and, you know, they're like generals from Italy. And, you know, it was, wow. it was the most interesting experience. We had the best conversations with everybody. And, uh, and, it, you know, everybody was so unassuming and natural. It wasn't like, you know, it could have been any, any other living room concert that we played, but it was, this one happened to be attended by some really uh, major players in world politics, I guess. You know? Wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> it was fun. Now let's get a little more current. You are currently in Guster. And uh, how did that all start? Well, um, actually, it all came about because after the release of, uh, of the Joe Marks brother around the year record, um, Guster, you know, they, I think Josh Rouse handed him, they, he was touring with them and he handed him our record and they, they sort of liked, they really liked it. And they said, Hey, would you guys, you know, open up for us? And we're like, Oh, great. You know? So we did a couple different tours with them. And then, uh, and we just became friends, you know, we kind of hit it off and, and, um, we had written Jesus on the radio together, Ryan and I, when I was I was still finishing up Daydreams, and they were finishing up the Keep It Together record, and they were in Nashville for probably you know about you know a few months, and and uh, we had written that song together because I was so into like you know just the banjo and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. from doing my record. And I said, I'm just into this stuff lately, and we just wrote that, and we just as a goof, and then you know they ended up we ended up cutting it together, but um, and then there came a time when they finished Keep It Together that they were like, look, we you know. When, when they were growing as musicians, they kind of got a little bit away from their three-piece roots and put a lot more overdubs on the record, and they really wanted to be able to perform it live, so they needed an extra set of hands out there. And I was really only supposed to join I was only supposed to help them for four months. And, uh, you know, then you start changing things. You start, oh, well, we could try a banjo on this. We could try this on that. Oh, let's try a real bass on this. Let's try this. And then it became like, oh, we just stick around a little longer. And then we ended up, you know, writing that uh the next record together and you know i actually produced some of it so it was it was great you know it was really fun and uh let's let's go ahead and play jesus on the radio you want to tell us about this track before we play it i'm trying to think that was one where like you know ryan came over in the afternoon and we just wrote it really quickly mm-hmm. and we were just having fun it was just a goof and um the funny thing was is like those guys you know were on a major label and i had just finished daydreams mm-hmm. um and i was you know recording everything in tiny rooms in my apartment you know with like blankets everywhere to baffle the noise and stuff and you know i went up to bearsville studios in, in woodstock to oh, record that song with them cool. and i was so psyched driving up there because i had a show in new york i was playing at the living room in new york and i was going to hit bearsville on my way home mm-hmm. brought my banjo up there 
and I was so psyched to go to a proper studio. Roger Moutinot was producing, and I thought this is going to be so fun to be in a great tuned room with, with you know, high ceilings and this stuff. And we get there, and they're like, this song is kind of a folky song. Let's record it in the, in the house, the guest house where everybody was sleeping. <laughs> So nice. like I came all this way and they just bring a little Pro Tools rig in there and put up some mics and stuff in, by the fireplace and I'm like, you know, all this way for nothing, you know. But <laughs> it was fun. It was like, well, you know, it, it, it was apropos for the song. Did you eventually get into Bearsville at all, or did did they not go back over there? Um, well, for this for the record that we did, we did it, we went to a place called Alaire, which is in uh, Woodstock too, which is because mm-hmm. Bearsville at the time was shut down. Okay. By the time we, they were temporarily shut down, I guess. And uh, Alaire is just a fantasy world. I mean, it's like the best place you've ever seen, and they happen to have amazing studios there. Mm-hmm. It's like you know the place that you wish to go on vacation, and yet it's like a studio. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty fantastic. Excellent. Well, let's check out a track. Jesus on the radio. Cosmosis. Radio Free Nashville. All right. Cosmosis, low power for the people. Radio Free Nashville, 98.9 FM.
Satellite from Guster here on Cosmosis talking to Joe Pasapia. He's the newest member of Guster. And uh, tell me what now, Joe Mark's brother was your baby. That was that was something you started. And uh, mm-hmm. th- then you joined Guster, which was already an established band. What how how are the, those dynamics different for you? Well, it's you know what it's it's pretty much it was set up perfectly because at this at the time of Joe Mark's brother, like right um, right around the time when I was getting ready to do my record, it was, I was sort of feeling the strain of like, maybe I'm done with the three-piece because it's so hard to write for a three-piece. Mm-hmm. There's so many limitations. And I just felt like, I just want to get out of the box That's where Daydreams came from. But I thought if we were to continue Joe Mark's Brother at that time, we were thinking of hiring another guy. And I had some people in mind that I, that I know through the grapevine, but we weren't necessarily going to make them a part of the band. They would just be basically somebody that was, you know, able to play a lot of different instruments mm-hmm. and sort of be the utility guy. Right. 
So when Guster called me and said, hey, do you want to go out and play with us for four months, I knew exactly what role to play because I was like, that's the role that I always wanted. <laughs> exactly. How ironic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, to see that guy that you know, basically wasn't really part of the internal dynamics of the band or part of the, you know, whatever, you know, I didn't create the band. It was, wasn't my baby, but I could basically try to help you guys out, you know, be, a, be, be the, almost like the invisible guy that just plays a lot of instruments. Our special guest today, Joe Pasapi. It's been so much fun talking to you, Joe. Thank you so much for being on the show. Now I've got just a few more questions for you. Anybody out there now that's current that you're digging these days? I really got into the last M Ward record. I just thought that was really beautiful, you know. Um, and I'm um, trying to think. You know, there was a band from Nashville called the Spinto Band, which mm-hmm. I know they they just finished a new record, but their first record, which came out a couple of years ago, I just loved it too. Mm-hmm. And they're such a great live band. Okay, here, here's one that I normally ask during interviews. If you could have been a fly on the wall during the sessions for any album in the history of recorded music, what would that album be? Wow, that's a tough one. <laughs> I'm going to say the uh, Get Skelberto Joe Beam record. Very cool. Excellent. Well, first thing, as a fly, I don't think anybody in there would be aggressive enough to kill the fly. <laughs> that's true. Because so, <laughs> that record is so mellow. You get to hear the you whole could thing. probably have a... <laughs> You get to hear the whole thing, yeah. You know, I mean, as opposed to like Led Zeppelin physical graffiti, where you know you'd probably be taken out by track two. Yeah, by the fumes but, um, alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I hear you. Uh, no, that that record is just one of my favorites. I just it, it'd be so interesting to just I think you know what you know what I love about that record is you could hear the love in the record, and mm-hmm. that's what I mean. But you could hear that they were in the moment, and everything was being done like a, the moment where they were just discovering this music together, and, mm-hmm. and that's where I think the energy is, that's where the charge is. And it comes across on records, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. Are there any shows that you've done uh, or venues that are particularly memorable? Well, the last show I did, I just did a, I just did a solo show on, on a rock cruise. Oh, wow. And it was, it was pretty memorable because of the fact that, you know, you're on a big, huge boat, and, you know, they have these huge venues in these boats. And, you know, it was, and I also had this, dream band with me like because it was basically um a lot of the people on the boat already had my record so they offered to play with me and um it was members of the bare naked ladies and this guy named kurt swinghammer who produced uh some of the early run sexsmith stuff and my friend howie beck from toronto and some of the guster guys sat in and it, it was it was pretty spectacular you know very cool it was yeah, it was really fun. Excellent. Uh, and now, of course, what what does the future hold for you musically? Well, right now, I'm up in New York working with the Guster guys, mm-hmm. just writing some songs, and we've been just writing a ton of stuff, and we're going to have to sort through it, find the best stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm kind of working on my own stuff, you know, just kind of working on a, a solo record or maybe a JMB record. I'm kind of thinking it might be something in between mm-hmm. Daydreams and Joe Mark's Brother, mm-hmm. uh, where we... We're, like, because I've been working with Mark and Hags, you know, whenever we get time at home together, and uh, just kind of showing them my ideas and see which ones turn them on, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and then I'm at the same time I just keep recording stuff because I have a studio in my house, so I keep recording stuff that you know mostly no one's ever heard, and I don't even know if it's any good. But you know, <laughs> I'm sort of like trying to sift through to see what's going to make which record, or maybe I'll do two. I don't know. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now we played a lot of a lot of great music today. Um, Joe Mark's brother stuff. Where could people find that if they wanted to, to get some? 
you know, I'm pretty sure it's all on iTunes these days. Okay. All right. Um, what about what about Daydreams? Daydreams also is on iTunes. Okay. I'm pretty sure Watercolor is on iTunes, and if it's not, I have to slap Liz around or slap myself around. <laughs> oh, my friend Dave just confirmed that it is on iTunes. Okay. Brilliant. Fantastic. And the Guster stuff, iTunes, um, places like that as well. And where can we find you online? You have a website, MySpace, that kind of thing? Yeah, they both are kind of lame. I gotta, be, I gotta be honest. Like when you have your like little list that you procrastinate, my web, my web presence is horrible, <laughs> and much to do with my own lackadaisicalness of it. You know, my website is is really poor, uh-huh. and um, and then uh, my MySpace is equally as poor. But you know, I was gonna. My friend Dave Youngman just filmed uh, some video of the of the rock cruise, and I want to post some of that stuff up on the MySpace, so that'll be something good. I'll make sure that happens. You're a busy guy. You can't be hanging out on the web with us lowlifes, right? <laughs> you got a lot going on, man, so you're excused. Uh, you're excused. Well, man, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Listeners really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for putting out so much great music and doing what you do, and we hope you keep it up, man. Well, thank you for your time, Billy. I appreciate it. Joe Pasapia on Cosmosis, and hopefully this won't be the last time we'll have him on the show um, when some of the other stuff comes out in the future. You know, maybe have a little uh, record listening part of that kind of thing on the air. So uh, thanks again, Joe. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Billy.
never knew anything.